As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today's episode of Android's Dungeon. Remakes, remasters, deluxe editions. Good, bad, ugly, who knows? And lots of new games. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario, Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Santa Claus. You know Krampus? Have you ever heard of Krampus? You know what Krampus is? What's, uh, what's going on at the university? Um, people might be learning. I've yet to see any evidence that anyone does any learning at university. <laughs> learn not to go to university, maybe. It's but. January. It's a good time to learn. There's not much else to do. Good time to suck up parking spaces for hardworking volunteers at the radio station. Yeah. I think there should be, maybe we can start a petition or a, what's that, change.org, that stupid website nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah. That everyone, it always gets referenced. Sign a petition. <laughs> Sign a petition to, we'll get CFRU to have dedicated parking spots. Um, <laughs> we can maybe bulldoze the uh, the dean or the, uh, the provost or oh, yeah. move those spots here. Anyway, Android's Dungeon, you can check us out on... Facebook, uh, sort of, through the Guelph Board Gaming Group. Check us on Twitter, Instagram, Gam, uh, all the other podcasting websites that you may or may not use. Uh, I, big shout out to Joel, who runs the Anchor account, and uh, old Jackie boy has trouble understanding this <laughs> this brave new world of... To be fair, I think it's, it's a little weird in, like, the... I think maybe the terminology they use throws me off, like, because you can upload it, but it's almost like, in my mind, it's like saying... When it's uploaded, it shouldn't be published yet. And for some reason, I get scared whenever I hit, like, put it in there. I'm worried it's going to go out there and it's not ready to go out yeah. yet. I don't well, know. I don't know. It's got all those other tools that are, like, optional where you can add, like, sound effects and stuff. Like, <laughs> if anybody's actually going to use it. But, hey, if you're not able to make a complete podcast before uploading it, then there are some options to get you the rest of the way. Are they free or do you have There's to pay for There's some freeware songs yeah. you can just throw oh, in. Oh, really? Yeah. So, it's all, you, when you watch or listen to some of these, um, it's funny because I don't listen to podcasts necessarily. I I listen to the YouTube version of it because yeah, it oftentimes it's like for some reason like the podcast they always keep it to an hour and I don't know if it's just like the format of it. Whereas the YouTube ones can go like three hours and twenty minutes and it's yeah. like yeah it's fine. I like long stuff because usually I'm throwing it on the background like cooking or cleaning or yeah. doing something along those lines. But it seems like hour is pretty standard. Yeah, it's like that's the amount of time people can tolerate before they're sick <laughs> of the subject. I don't know. Yeah, well it's funny you know people probably listening to this are asking Joel Jack you're super famous how yeah. come you're not making any money? Yeah. Um, well, we're not in for the money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there is the option to monetize on Anchor FM now, which uh, you, can, you can partner with them and they will find you an ad. You'll read it in your show 
much like <laughs> you've all heard the ads for uh, Dollar Shave Club or whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> mattresses and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you'll get a cut and Anchor will get a cut. So this is like we were always like, hey, Anchor, what's the catch? This is awesome. Yeah. And now they've finally implemented it. Obviously, they're going to share the profits because they're doing all the distrib- distribution to all the different podcasts yeah, yeah. and everything like that. You got to wonder, though, it's like obvious. It's kind of like um, I, I'm going back to YouTube here, but there was the thing with the adpocalypse where mm. uh, they demonetized tons of channels or they got rid of all that stuff because I think it was because the Wall Street Journal ran a hit piece on PewDiePie. And yep. all of this because it's like PewDiePie is teaching young kids about Nazis. And so, oh, <laughs> we got to stop our ads off this fellow. And a whole bunch of channels lost tons of ad revenue. And then it's almost like unless you're one of those big, big guys who's getting ton, either outputting tons of videos and getting medium amount of views or someone who um, has an insane amount of followers and you just get millions. Like I was looking at the recent PewDiePie video, not watching it, but just looking at the views on 3.3 million for a video. I think that came out. Um, either yesterday or today or something crazy like that. Yeah. It's like, well, you have the most subs in the entire. Yeah, is he country. or is he, is he fighting over like a Korean pop star, or an Indian singer he, or something? He's fighting over uh, something called T Series, which is uh, the music video series. It's a yeah. group of like every single Indian music video that ever gets <laughs> uploaded to YouTube goes to the same channel. There's not many Indian people. It's so like, it's not, yeah, exactly. So so the problem is it's not an individual. Uh, that he's competing with, he's basically it's basically an alternate platform that's just using a single YouTube channel to exactly. get exposure. Yeah, so. yeah. So either way, I'm not worrying about Felix or Cajal or Kyleberg or whatever okay, sleeping yeah. at night or whether he's getting food on his table. But uh, it is interesting the monetization side of it, and that's where I think it kind of ties back in is that a lot of people just go, all right, well, if if I, I don't want to be at the mercy of someone like Google or uh, Google slash YouTube for ads, uh, I'm just going to go do my own thing. Which is where you get into the, the, the donation stuff like PayPal, Patreon, mm. Subscribestar, the rest of that stuff. And it's like, all right, well, I can't trust these guys uh, to not yank something out because they don't like the content or somebody deems it uh, irresponsible or whatever. So now you guys can just give money to me directly, assuming they don't yeah. yank the carpet under you there too. But ultimately, if, what Joel's saying is that you should give us money. Exactly. Send send Jack a message on Twitter and he'll send you his address. <laughs> And then you can mail him some some money, some cash. Mail me money. <laughs> Unmarked bills, please, only. Can I get a wire transfer? Of, uh... Anyway, in case you don't know, Android's Dungeon is a show about money laundering and board games and music and, and movies and donations and begging. Uh, we're not e-begging. We're uh, FM begging. Yeah. <laughs> begging Times are tough. Airwaves. Although, you know, I'm just musing out loud here, but we should be able to partner with somebody, too. Um, either it's, like, something really light or have someone come in and talk about their stuff. but uh, There's enough independent podcasts that are advertising out there that yeah. I'm sure there's like a lot of companies like this Dollar Shave that would basically have an auditor or something, listen to your show, yeah. say, yep, they said what we said, wanted them to say, <laughs> and then send you money directly. So Send me um, money. <laughs> buy Nike shoes. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, what else can I show? It's a, remember in Wayne's World, I think it's the second one, that when they're um, – uh, they're talking about like the sh- shamelessness of advertising, and then they just keep going from like he opens up this thing of Pizza Hut perfectly oh, on screen, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's drinking, turns around, drinking a Pepsi, and Adam smiles. Sandler, I'm never selling out. Eat Subway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's on the nose, but still amusing. Uh, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Oh boy, quite a few games. There's gonna, gonna be some overlap here. I'm gonna talk about a cute little classic game from 2003. Okay, a lot of people describe it as a for- forgotten gem. It's right. like a 6.7 on 
board game geek it's not very well rated but it's it's decent and it's just imagine if you will a cute little island and on this island there are four beaches and each of those beaches has some sand some water and then inland a little bit of dirt and rocks uh you have deck of cards or it's not a deck per se it's like a big hand a big hand of cards and you'll have um cards with water and cards with the names of each four beaches and you'll also have some building types you can build swirly buildings fishy buildings <laughs> swirly buildings there's just symbols basically <laughs> right so there's four different types yeah. of that as well and you'll lay down three cards and those three cards are basically like a map you'll got okay i'm on the west beach which is called diabolo mm -hmm. and i'm building on sand and i'm building a swirl well that only applies to one thing on this whole island okay so you play those three cards face down if you get to flip them all up perfect you get to build there everybody's got 20 huts or something 15 huts once all your huts are gone uh you get a point per hut you get a point for being the most on one of those four beaches and you get two points if you control like a cluster mm -hmm. of four huts that's it that's the whole game except um you have to show everybody one of those three cards okay so now everybody knows you're building on a beach and then everybody else has a little totem and they can pick anywhere on the map that they think you might be building based off of that clue mm -hmm. and try to stop you from building. So if they guess one of the other two cards is what you're saying? They'd have to guess perfectly. So you're giving them one third of the information yeah. and then they have to say, oh, well, you're building on a swirl and it looks like you've got two other huts here. So that would give you a lot of points. So I'm guessing guess you're building trying to build here and right. if they manage to block you good for them you don't go and joel what is this game called macabana 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 it's just a it's a cute little uh place your totems thing and then there's a little bit of intrigue it was fun we had a good time i don't have any real criticisms for it it's just it is what it is it's like almost like a little mini puzzle game and then they threw in an extra element, which is uh, you get two paint cards. And basically when you're painting, you're just replacing someone else's hut with yours. Mm -hmm. So that's where things get really interesting for everybody else. Because let's say, for example, you put down a paint card and then you reveal the clue that you're building on grass. Well, now everybody's looking at their huts on grass. And they're going to try to, the try to put a totem down Me. on the one they think you're trying to take over. Yeah. So how long the game go for? 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes. Fun, light little game. If you see it in a thrift store, pick it up. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to find it super easily. Probably there's some copies online. Makabana, I'd probably give it, uh, let's call it six and a half out of nine pretty little huts on the beach. <laughs> so did, did, it set out, did it accomplish what it set out to do as far as you're concerned? For for a game that's like it's it seems like it's doing a couple of things, but it, it seems to be it, it didn't doesn't take very long. There's some kind of like 
the guessing element and kind of if you snipe somebody, it's hilarious. If you get sniped, it's hilarious. You're, everyone seems to be having kind of a laugh about the entire thing. It doesn't strike me as a very serious game. The theme is light and colorful. Exactly. It does, it, does it work at the it's end of the day? It's a cute little light little family game. Yeah. And there's not much to, more to it than that. You're not going to... Oh, you put it in the family game category, eh? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's... it's it's light enough that you could teach it to like an eight-year-old, right? Okay. It's like, okay, well, uh, put down three cards and you'll build somewhere, basically. And if someone else is uh, before you in the turn order, well, they build there and sorry. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. So turn order is very important then for yeah. that case. You're also um, the first that gets to place a totem. Hmm. Interesting. Now, we haven't played it yet, but it sounds like it's there would be, if you played Makabana and then you had like a, uh, a, afterward you got to play Treasure Island, which I've been just kind of obsessed about it. I've been thinking a lot about the idea of this game because I, I love... Oh, it looks really good. I love the, the, the bigger sort of party. Like, how many how many people does this play up to, out of curiosity? Five. Five, yeah. So I think Treasure Island is something around there. But I like the idea of the a game where it, there there's a niche for when you have a smaller group of people over and you don't want to throw something like Food Chain Magnet down on the table and you want to try to... Everyone's kind of yeah. shouting and laughing, having fun, but there's still a bit of crunch to it. You still need those accessible games. Yeah. You don't always have to have something that's just going to break a brain. Uh, yeah. Or it could be a warm-up game. If or you're a warm-up game. If you've, if you've all met to play something <clears throat> uh, like Spirit Island, <laughs> maybe you want to start with something yeah. uh, just to get the juices flowing. Well, speaking of Spirit Island, why don't we... No, we'll go to that in a second because I'll do, I'll do Mari Nostrum. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll do Spirit and then I'll do another one after that, okay? Sounds good. So... We got people over on Saturday to play something I've had sitting on the shelf for, I think, maybe a year, could be longer, um, called Mario Nostrum Empires, which is the kind of a re-release version of the previous Mario Nostrum game. I didn't play it. Uh, I've seen some comparisons of the first and the second. As far as I know, everyone prefers the new one to the old one. They kind of like tightened things and got rid of some degenerative gameplay that resulted in things not being fun or just kind of like, well, this, this is goofy. Now I'm min-maxing it and it's annoying to the rest of the table, which is always the worst thing possible in a game if you add that. Um, so the general premise is it is a civilization um, building game and has light 4X elements. I say light because you're, you're grabbing, ex- uh, you're extracting the resources, you're exploring, you're exploiting. The extermination side is very, very limited. Uh, you're not swooping in. This isn't space risk. You're not coming over the fleet and eliminating a player from the game. Even though I think, theoretically, you could make someone's life hyper-miserable in this game, but you'd have to be just going... Everything has to be going just right for you. Let's just say that, and everything wrong for them. But the bottom line is you have a board of... Uh, it is the Mediterranean, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and all the typical uh, villains of these Civs games show up. You've got Rome, Carthage, uh, Greece, uh, Egypt... Egypt and uh, we had Hammurabi, so I guess Mesopotamia. Um, yeah, and they're yeah. So and also they're heroes. Yeah, you know you've got Caesar, you've got Cleopatra, you've got exactly. Uh, so everyone starts with whatever faction or um, country they start with has their own historical leader. Whether or not they were all hanging out at the same time, eh, don't <laughs> worry about it. Yeah. Uh, and the general thing is that every turn you are 
you have all these territories on the board and you're spreading out and you have to establish influence and then you build trading caravans and then you build markets and cities and whatever you put down gives you stuff and so if you add a caravan to a place uh, it lets you get the goods that that region produces and the goods are all static so they're baked onto the board what that region produces and the start of every round for every place you've got the caravan you get to take those corresponding trade goods um, the trading phase of the game, I really say, think, is the, the the main interaction phase and the main meat and potatoes, even though you could argue the, the movement part is. And that's where you take all your resources and you have to, based on uh, whoever the trade leader is, uh, they determine how many trade goods are going, you have to put up for sale that turn. And it's up to you to pick which ones you want. And the trick to the game, too, is that you keep none of these trade goods at the end of the round. So... If you don't use them, you lose them. Use them or lose them. Use them or lose them. You can hold on to money. Money is another resource, but you only get two of those a turn. And what happens is that in order to buy stuff, you have to hand in totally different sets. So it's the exact opposite of Mega Civ or Advanced Civ, where you're trying to get one really good pile of something. In this one, you want one of everything, and then you're a king. Um, so what happens is, is the trade phase, somebody puts that out there, and then you put X goods out, and... Then you take turns taking from someone, the person got taken from, takes from someone else, and you go on down the line until everyone has taken the right amount. You move to the next phase where you build stuff, you fight if you want to. The fighting is very damaging and expensive. And John and I were playing the game, we just started a fight with us randomly. It's difficult to kill anybody, too. It's very tricky. Good luck if you're not coming in with two units. You need to, yeah, two, or you've got like, um, there. you can buy wonders and heroes that give you, like, help you. So instead of technology, you're buying uh, basically buildings and famous people throughout history. And that's what the the tech is in this game. Totally optional, but also a win condition. Exactly. And so that's the thing, too, is that the game, it, for something that appears very heavy, um, I think it's actually quite medium uh, at, in its core gameplay. And someone's always on the way to winning, which is something that I kind of liked, is that some games just wheels are spinning. But in this case, someone is always creeping closer and closer because you can win by being the boss of the three different tracks, which are war, culture, trade... You can win by buying five heroes or wonders. You can win by occupying four capital cities. And the <laughs> and then the last win condition, which is the one that I think everyone was just uh, like, what basically everyone was just waiting for to to yeah, activate was, was if you you can buy the pyramids for twelve. Yeah, but all those other things kind of lead towards that. Anyway. Exactly. So it's it's I think. Uh, because a lot of this was our first game, everyone had playing for the first time. I think we were playing kind of cautiously and not being that aggressive. <coughs> even though I, I started a fight initially as a joke with John, but then turned into something bigger. <laughs> and then Slugfest. I left Stefan to his own devices when I should have swooped. Yeah. I'll have to fix that one. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway. yeah, I mean, he he uh, he got like a probably a. I would say slightly over a third of the whole map. Yeah, he was just allowed to just Somehow. grow. But anyway, I my overall impression was I, I enjoyed the experience, and I thought as far as Civ games go, I've played stuff that's unnecessarily complicated. I've played stuff that seems too light, and I want more. Personally, for me, this was right in the middle ground of it was doing a lot of different things, and I think it moved fast enough, and it was simple enough uh, in its in its core sort of gameplay loop that I enjoyed the experience quite a lot. And I think it, you, I, it would be difficult to play with anything less than a big table, though, because I think you need a lot of people playing to really kind of get the most out of it. But yeah. what were your thoughts, Joel? Because I don't think you walked away from it feeling that or being that uh, into it. Well, Jack, I have a question for you. Yeah. 
Mari Nostrum. Yeah. Okay. Um, take away the goods. Take mm-hmm. away all the goods. And replace the leader track, which dictates what everybody does, mm-hmm. with a bidding board. And what do you have? You have something very similar to uh, <laughs> to a Euro Ameritrash game that I'm quite fond of. <laughs> so I like this game. I did like it quite a bit. I, I thought that <clears throat> maybe there were too many win conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't mind the pyramids because it was kind of like the philosophers... Of Cyclades. It's just like, well, if nobody is going to resolve this game, if you're letting people it's eventually do it, yeah. just going to end. Mm-hmm. And another similarity I found is that when you, when you, everybody's ramping up in Cyclades and doing this and that, and then you always all of a sudden get into a situation where three people are ready to end it. Yeah. And it's just a matter of who does it first. Yeah, interesting. And you know what? There is a hero, too. And everyone's kind of th- looking at it going like, I don't know, understand the point of this. But there's a hero who is, um, what is it? Um, Perseus. And his whole thing is that he doesn't do anything. He gives you a couple of bonuses on the tracks, but his whole thing is that when it comes to the build time, you can build first Regardless if you're going to build the pyramids. It. Exactly. So it lets you basically just end the game if you buy this guy. Which so. now we know. I mean, <clears throat> uh, playing a first game, yeah, yeah, yeah. no one's going to get upset about losing a first game. No. Um, it's it's all for fun. And But it was really funny. We all got into the same situation on the last round. We all... Had 12 bucks worth Thought of about it and thought, <laughs> oh, okay, we need 12 of different goods or $12. Yeah. I can do it. I could do it. Yeah. So I set the trading at five, which was a little greedy because really I only needed three things. <laughs> I, I think that would have screwed seven over. <laughs> and it you. created a scenario where, um, where three of us had everything we needed to win the game and yeah. then just whoever built first one. Yeah, and it's almost like, and this is what I would say too, because you're talking about um, the too many win conditions. What I think I would have liked, and this is something that um, Antiquity, another civilization game does, and I think more games, I love this idea, uh, and also Great Zimbabwe to an extent, another splatter game is that you can, there, you can win the game, um, I think there's like a default win condition for you, but there's the there are the various saints that you can select, and what they do is they provide a bonus to you, or they allow you to change your game in a certain way. But they change your win condition. Hmm. So if you go with this saint, it's like okay, now you don't have to worry about this. But this is now your what you need to do to win. I think if and I've only played the game once, and I'm already talking about something that maybe I would fix, but <laughs> not necessarily fixing, but just an idea off the top of my head is that I think that you have to it'd be neat to have to claim like I'm going to. Um, I'm going to be building and going for this type of victory. It's not just something where you're doing everything at once and being like, oh, what shall, how shall I win today? It's like you have to claim, make a, a claim on it and kind of announce to other players in a sense yeah. that, uh, that oh, Joel built up an incredible army and he's, he's positioned to invade four capitals. Like, oh, I see what he's up to. Kind of reminds me of Terraforming Mars, the awards. The awards, say, too. You know what? I think I am going to be the scientist. Yeah, exactly. So and you then would... the scientist will win, but it won't necessarily be you. Exactly. So you're, you're, you'd be helping the other guy if you... Or are you just hurting yourself? I can't remember. Well, you've paid for it. You've paid for it. That's it. So it's just a waste of... Yeah. resources anyway mari nostrum it's uh if i, I think if uh, oddly enough i think most people probably don't own a civ game they probably own games that are similar in yeah. general but uh 
I don't know if I... I think if, if somebody's looking for a Meteor Civ-like game, and Stefan, when he played it, he was commenting, he felt it, it felt more similar to the Civilization video game. Hmm. So maybe if somebody you're looking for something like that and you don't want something that plays exactly like some of those other um, derivative uh, board games that are just like the video game, I would endorse. Uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's a, it's, a, it's a gateway Civ game. Yeah, and it's... I, it was. It was also. I wanted to see how the trading played out. It was a lot faster, and it maybe wasn't as meaty as as I was expecting it to be. But by the end, I think there was a lot of strategy with how people were taking stuff, and you didn't want to end up with doubles or triples of a good you already had, and you're just, oh, I'm throwing this away here. It's garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess making the most of what you get is a uh, is definitely tricky. And trading phase helps you with that until somebody does a no trade. Yeah, <laughs> that's another option too. So anyway, Marinostrum Empires. So. What was the other one, the one with the melting pieces? Oh, man. Um, a Clash of Cultures. Clash of Cultures. I certainly preferred it to Clash of Cultures. See, the Clash of Cultures that I'm thinking of, like, because it plays very similar to... It, you found... Uh, Clash culture, of Cultures. Because it's fiddlier. There's yeah. more stuff going. You have all these technology tracks, so it's a lot closer to the video game, but at the same time, it suffers for being that close to the video game. So many options. So many options. So, Joel, what, about, what else did we play on that gaming-filled Saturday? Yeah, so this was all last Saturday, five days ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we just dug right in. I, I started with Makabana, and then I taught Root. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then uh, and then we dove into Marie Nostrum over at uh, old Jackie Boys. And then, forgot just to when everyone we was ready to go home, we said, we can do this, guys. And we got out Spirit Island. And not only do we get out Spirit Island, but we got it out with the um, the player count that we were warned against. <laughs> well, four <laughs> players. Don't ever play four players. Or like at least your first game, don't even think about it because nobody knows the rules and nobody's there to teach it. According to the British man on TV. <laughs> who's, not a, who's not a dumb guy. And we looked at that and we said, no. Yeah. We can do it. So Spirit Island, for those who don't know, is it? Is it? It's so hot right now. But I, I think it's cooled a little bit. For a while there, it was just like it was on fire. You couldn't get a copy of it. Yeah. Um, now I think it's a little more available. And it's a cooperative, they describe it as cooperative settler destruction game. Yep. And the premise is that you are, um, everyone takes on the role of a, a ghost or spirit or god of this island, uh, a fictional island in the middle of somewhere. And what happens is that some random uh, European country has shown up on the shores, uh, shown up on the shores, <laughs> appeared <laughs> on the shores, that sounds better, and they are spreading across the island. They're displacing the uh, native groups that are there, the indigenous... Uh, Dahan. Dahan. And they're, they're building cities, they're ravaging the land, and uh, the Dahan are saying, no more. And they're basically playing Minecraft. They're playing, <laughs> yeah, they're playing Minecraft. <laughs> And uh, it's up to you as the players to, uh, as the spirits, to coordinate with each other to push away the, the settlers, whether it's by uh, blowing them up, making them real scared, or um, helping even the locals. Helping the locals. There's tons of different things you can do. Um, Joel, what did you think of Spirit Island? Brilliant. I think we've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Uh, it is super hard to crack the game you know it's super hard to get through that massive 31 page rule book 
which is not well constructed. Don't. I'm gonna say it right now. The rule book is badly made. Don't read the but rule it book. Doesn't it doesn't make any mistakes? Um, as far as like, well, yeah. we did find some some grammatical errors, but, but beyond who cares? nothing. Um, it does do a lot of work to help you. It even comes into like metagaming of, yeah. of cops. Here's one of my favorite things about the robot. <laughs> You're gonna like this. Is this about the taking too long? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> there is a thing about taking too long and tra- telling you to be patient with people, but or uh, mean. But like you are allowed. Too, yeah, yeah, you're allowed to set a timer. But this was Why my favorite because it mentions it twice in the rule book. Oh. It says. Also, if you come to this situation, refer back to this page and read this. Uh-huh. So what it says is, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, yeah. but basically, um, you're all spirits, and you're uh, you all have powers. You're going to uh, select an improvement for your um, creature, which is going to tell you how many powers you're allowed to play that turn. Uh, so if you're on a, on the track saying two, you're allowed to play two car- power cards. Okay, and then maybe you might trigger one on your innate abilities too, mm-hmm. but let's not go too crazy. Yeah. Um, what that means is that everybody selects them and puts them into a pool. At that point, all of those pools of powers can trigger either before or after the settle- settlers go, um, depending on whether they're fast or slow. Now, when they trigger they all quote unquote trigger simultaneously. Yeah. But they might it might be better for you to trigger them in one order than yeah, the yeah, other. Yeah, absolutely. So you can get into a situation where people don't agree. Oh. <laughs> and what the rule book says <laughs> I love I'm waiting to hear this. This is interesting. <laughs> is that if you don't agree on the order in which you should resolve your powers or in what a settler will do like for example if blight spreads where it spreads you get to decide as a team if you can't agree the owner of the game gets to decide Uh, (laughs) there it is i like it i like it me 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 (laughs) you know what as someone who's you know has been victimized for owning a game it's like oh you must be real good at no what makes you think that (laughs) well just target jack target joel because owns the game yeah no, I make a decision. <laughs> As if it comes up, though. Can you imagine a group fighting over, like, to the point of actual deceit? Like, yeah. Well, there's whole sections in the rule book saying, you know, listen, there's some people that really like to analyze things, and there's some people that like to just wing it and say, yeah. good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It literally says, good enough. <laughs> and uh, I'm both of those somehow. <laughs> yeah, it says, both methods are fine in Spirit Island, yeah. but if you find um, those two personalities in the same game, you might have some problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, duh. Yeah. It's so, let's get into the actual game because I think that right away you may have noticed that like we've been not diving too deep into explaining the mechanics of it because the game is, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Even though there's not that much going on, but it's just like what can happen, there's, there's so much that can possibly happen on a turn. Mm. And I was thinking about this a lot after you guys left, and I was thinking it's Gloomhaven meets Pandemic, mm-hmm. in that the Gloomhaven has all these cards you're choosing on your turn, and it can lead to, uh, f- especially for me, this overwhelming sense of what do I do? Now, yep. with Gloomhaven, I felt like there's less, there's there's some stuff that you obviously want to hold on to because you have to lose it, and you want to save it for situations, it's a waste of time. Whereas with... Um, Spirit Island, you're just looking at this entire hand of cards and all of them sort of seem viable simultaneously. And yeah. that's what terrified me so much. 
And uh, we were playing with Baby's First game, too, where they even gave you suggested power-up cards because the way the game works, yeah. too, is that you can have a, you, as an option at the start of the round what they call the growth phase, you can add a card from the deck to your deck. And it's almost like a light deck building element to the game, too. And this one, there's already, we have a, everyone had their own personal stash of cards. They say, take this one when it takes one. If you're playing the normal game, it's draw four blind yeah. and add one of those to your uh, amount. So Yeah, and one thing you'll notice about that is that the, the set cards they gave us, um, not only did they fit with us mm -hmm. as, as characters, as our spirits, but also they triggered our elements, right? They, they were like, oh, I need blues and yellows. Yeah. All the cards that they were giving me were blues and yellows. So when you're drawing four and picking one... You're thinking you about that, only, too. Yeah, you not only do you have to pick the power that you like the most, but you're also having to look so, at these elements. So Joel's mentioned the element side of stuff. So not only do you have to worry about the cards, not only do you have to worry about their cost and energy, <laughs> not only do you have to worry about whether you can actually play them properly or how to trigger them, amongst three other players at the table, theoretically, that you're playing with, in a correct order to get things to happen. Not only are you worrying about using your innate abilities, not only are you worrying about whether it's fast or slow, you're also worrying about on the side there, there's all these different elements that correspond to, we'll just call them colors, why not? And <laughs> when you play a card, it sits in front of you. You don't get to play it again until you have done a turn in which you take cards back in your hand. So you think, oh, that's not that bad, big deal. Uh, you get to play them again. The issue is that when you have a card on the ground, it means you've activated that element. And you look on your player board, and everyone's got innate spirit abilities. And you've also got special powers, which I forgot to use so many times in the oh, game. Yeah. Um, but for these, from the character I was playing was like the, the scary one. It's, the whole thing was generating fear. And yeah. his powers, his innate powers were awesome. So I got to the point where it was like I never wanted to pick up cards from my... Uh, that I had played because the innate powers were so much more versatile because they're all fast too, and I did never want to be without the abil their abilities. So I, I was just staring at these cards. I could never play unless I was desperate to play it. But it was just so much going on. But it, everything, what I was saying at the end there is like uh, by the end of the game when we sort of got a feeling for what was going on. When I play every now and then, when I play Pandemic or uh, Pandemic Legacy, especially, you get that kind of that excitement. Like there's this brief adrenaline rush from the game that you don't often get in some other ones because yeah. it's like, this is exciting. We're working together. How are we going to make this this function? And it, that's yeah. a really lovely feeling in a game. Yeah, so it's a co-op game. If you haven't caught that already, we're all working together. Uh, the, the the win condition, so the win condition Which is hard changes. <laughs> and then gets easier. So yeah. the win condition is destroy all everything Everyone, on the yeah. map. And then, like Jack was saying, he's he, his character was a special character that generated lots of fear. Uh, fear doesn't help you on the map per se, except for, um, we'll get into it, but <laughs> there's, just so, <laughs> there's much. so much to teach. But uh, basically, uh, if you generate X amount of fear, uh, you advance a fear tracker, and then it gets easier to win because the settlers are more afraid of you. Yeah. So once you've flipped, once you've generated all your fear three times, you'll get into the next stage, and then you only need to destroy the cities and towns, yeah. and then eventually you only need to destroy the cities. Um, and it's very tricky, too, with uh, the way the settlers are doing stuff, because you're not just sitting there like disease cubes, drawing cards randomly and adding stuff. They, You get to see, you can. there's a programming element to it, where it's, you see what the settlers are going to do on their turn. You flip things over and you add their little explorers, which are little conquistadors, onto different sections of the map all over the place. And then that card's going to move down to the build phase. So that means if you added stuff to jungle spaces on the island, 
The next turn, that means they're going to be building on jungle spaces on the island. And the third turn, you know, they're going to be ravaging jungle spaces on the island, which means that means they do damage to the land, they do damage to the Dahan, and that's where Blight shows up. So you know exactly what's going to come three turns down the line, but you never have enough. There's at least the beginning. There's I don't never know. enough time. There's yeah. never enough time. So you're, you're, it's all about, it's kind of like, it, it has the same sort of arc as Pandemic, I think, in the sense of that. You're doing. You're just like you're kind of just holding back the 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 flood initially, and then gradually you start to board up the walls. You get and a foothold. You get a foothold, and, and then you, you make another foothold, that. and then eventually you're like, ha ha ha! Now I am the boss now. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And then you're just how having fun finishing them off. Exactly. And we were we were playing on easy mode, this, yeah. and still I was feeling like at the beginning here's like. Oh my God! This is. But you could see how quickly it turned when uh, one island space was clear, and then all of a sudden there were two people ganging up on the next island yes, space. Yes, yes. And it was like, now we're good. And that's the trick. Done. I think it almost re- like, it, and that's and this is the part that was breaking my brain was that you have three other players that could all theoretically be helping you at the same time. And you can be helping all three of those players and they all have their own deck of cards that could be doing different things and you're trying to coordinate. And for for a first game, I think it's just overwhelming. The yeah. like, I don't know what you're doing. And everybody's excited about their cards and so they're reading them to everyone. It's, it's like, like, I could do this, I could do this. Yeah. Hey, hey, does anybody want me to do this? Yeah. It's like, fuck, man, I just gotta, <laughs> I just gotta go through what I've got here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's definitely something that would reward multiple plays, and I think, uh, especially now we've got one under our belt, and you can also bang out two player games and get these things yeah. going, but. I, I I was really impressed. I was not let down by all the the hype for the game. I think it's a really unique, like as far as co-op games go, it's yeah. And talk about replayability. Like there's 16 levels of difficulty scenarios where the Portuguese invade, the yeah. English invade. There's there's like seven other heroes we haven't even played with yet. Yeah, there's there's a lot in that box. So you, <laughs> feeling upset about uh, bang for your buck should not be a thing in this. No. All right. Speaking of bang for your buck, it's commercial break time. By commercial, we don't have any. It's music time. Stay tuned. (laughs) Support a musician. Support a musician.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was The Corridor by Espectrostatic. Uh, where's he based out of? Texas. Taylor, Texas. I don't know where Taylor, Texas is, but I've got Somewhere family in Texas. Texas. Texas is fun. Don't miss with Texas. Uh, some bi- spooky music for you. I think this guy's outstanding. Everything I've heard by Espectrostatic uh, is uh, really, really good. And it's kind of a mix between uh, dark synth. But it's got uh, some it's kind of medley or guitar riffs in the background. So, I don't know. Obviously inspired by John Carpenter. Yeah. Um, Film background music. Yeah. It, it could, some, a lot of this music, when I'm listening to it, I was like, oh, man, I, it'd just be so fun to shoot, make a movie or make some, uh, shoot something to this stuff. Uh, speaking of shooting scary things. Pew, pew, pew. Um, Resident Evil 2, one of my favorite games of all time. I've been waiting for the remake to come out for probably six years, I think, ever since they announced it, and you didn't hear a word out of them. And when the 20th anniversary of Resident Evil 2 came and went, and those those guys at Capcom didn't even have the didn't even tweet something, didn't even say anything special about it. Like the, one of the greatest games in their their long running franchises, didn't even give it the time of day. People were worried. <laughs> like, did they not want to bring attention to the fact that this thing wasn't going on? Long story short, the game came out on Friday, uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake, and I've maybe been able to put about four hours into it, spread out. Um, Already. Uh, scrounging <laughs> whenever I can. It is my four hours, obviously, give it the, 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 the caveat that it's not done yet, but my four hours in, it is outstanding. They they nailed it. it. It's not fixed camera angles like a lot of people were upset about, but it, anyone expecting that was going to be severely disappointed in the year of our Lord 2019 to see fixed camera angles hmm. in a game like that. But so far, it is... I don't say this often, but it's actually scary. Uh-oh. It's actually scary in the sense that it's very tense. The zombies are very meaty, and you can't... If you're going through murdering everything you come across, you're going to have a very bad time because they're tough. You're going to run out of ammo. The, the liquors, which are these gross, they look like skinned humans with giant claws and a giant tongue, and they can climb on the roof and stuff, but they're, they're blind, so you have to be quiet around them. Uh, so you can kind of, like, walk by, and they don't... Bu- they, but if you're running, then they're going to go crazy, but they're very tough. So you kind of have the option to sneak any you can Yeah, so a lot of the game is all about choosing your fights and when to engage and when you realize you don't have to kill everything because it's like, I'm not coming back here, screw you. Or just juke the zombies and get out of there. But they've added things like you can pick up busted boards and, like, fix broken windows, stop zombies from piling through. And I was thinking... I was worried because I thought this was going to be just a temporary thing, but no, it seems pretty permanent because <laughs> they, they can break the window, but it's like you put up those rotten boards. Mm-mm. <laughs> it's nice. high-quality lumber. Anyway, uh, without spoiling too much, there's also a character called Mr. X that shows up, uh, the tyrant, and it's this seven-foot-tall uh, linebacker wearing a trench coat that marches uh, unceasingly toward wherever you are that you cannot kill, and at best you can pump a bunch of ammunition into him and make him collapse for a minute before he stands back up. There's, it's, he's absolutely terrifying. And when you're making your way around the station, already worrying about all the rest of the stuff there, and you just hear these... <laughs> of this, this thing stomping around the station looking for you, and you, like, he can hear you too. If you run and make noise, he's going to 
come in and uh, go after. Does he have you. a black mask on his face? No, he's got <laughs> he's got this really weird swirly face. <laughs> it's like the the texture on his face is bizarre, but uh, he uh. starts off with a jaunty hat. There's actually an achievement for shooting it off his head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, incredible so far. Really, really good. And um, maybe my opinion will change as time goes on, but so far I'm I'm really really impressed. They did not let me down. It's Mr. X from the original or is that something yeah he's from the original so that's something else the last thing i'll say uh is that they've done an incredible job of taking what was already there and adapting it in a way that doesn't look totally alien like you walk into certain parts when somebody who's played the 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 game the original resident evil 2 i've played maybe two dozen times or something it's a comfort game for me it's just so cozy but when you see sections of it you just go oh yeah, I remember this, but it looks normal. It's like they took what they were trying to do in 1998 and then like, well, in 2018 or 2019, we can do this now and it looks like this and it makes sense. And it's not as explicitly silly, which some people will say like the game, the series has always been wacky. But anyway, bottom line, really, really tremendous. If you have any interest in horror games or survival horror or action adventure games, give it a shot. Uh, I think you would not be disappointed with it. And it runs really well, too. Mm. Even if it's not the prettiest at times, I've noticed that some things are kind of ugly. Gives us some hope for the Warcraft 3 reign of chaos. Yeah, so, speaking Maybe of... Maybe that'll be scary, too. I know it'll be scary. scary how much they want money way. for <laughs> uh, Speaking of, remakes and remasters. Yeah. They aren't just limited to video games, even though the video game one is an easy... Cha-ching! Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil 4 has been ported to everything. <laughs> it's absurd. Uh, Skyrim, Skyrim ported to every like the joke. Even even Bethesda was making jokes about porting it to Alexa or uh, <laughs> the Google Home or something silly. Yeah. Um, a remake and a remaster. The, we got to be clear here. A remake is when you do something from ground up. It should be a totally new game, but you're basically uh, it, <laughs> the meme of uh, copy this but change it so people don't uh, think it's or just yeah, change yeah. it a little bit. So the teacher doesn't. So the teacher doesn't notice, and you end up with something like the, the Star Wars sequels, <laughs> <laughs> which is a remake of the original Star Wars movies. Basically, a remaster is when you take a game like let's say um, Skyrim, which came out was on the 360 and uh, PS3 originally, or was it always PS4, Xbox One. Either way. When you take something like that and then you release it for the next console, so you bump up the graphics, you add all the DLC that you've dribbled out throughout the years, it's still the same game. You haven't changed anything necessarily. So with board games, you're seeing the remakes are closer to something a little more obscure in the sense of like it's you play certain games, you say, oh, it's a remake of Puerto Rico. Oh, it's a remake of this. Now, whether it's somebody who has no connection to the original game and kind of says, I love Puerto Rico, I'm taking the elements of it and adding to the game. I can't think of anything beyond Twilight and Pyramid, to be honest. But Obviously with a twist, I With guess. a twist, right? So, or, where versus remasters, which we're getting into of these deluxified special edition games that are coming out. Yeah. Um, I think the, the main point for a remaster is that the content is exactly the same. Yeah. But it looks better. Yeah, exactly. It feels better. It, and that's it. It should... It sh- remasters should make everything look better and f- play better and Could fix some bugs maybe. fix bugs and stuff so at least as far as computer games goes when it comes to like a, a board game you think like the deluxified or the special edition of the game should at least like if there were um, issues in the original game like people said oh like uh, I didn't like this thing because it, everyone agreed it screwed up the game or it didn't balance things properly and the designer maybe said I screwed up here too mm. I, I didn't think this one through fix it um, 
kind of like Mario Nostrum, where you get like a it's it's the same game, Mario Nostrum, Mario Nostrum Empires, same core mechanics, but the graphics are better. Like yeah. as far as the the character portraits and some of the mechanics, they've changed. Mega so, Civilization. Mega Civilization, which is. Would you call it a remake or a remaster? I'd say it's a remake. It's but... a yeah, it's a mix. I'd say it's it's a remaster in that it's the exact same game. Yeah, but it's a it's a remake in that uh, they've added some content. Yeah, so it almost feels like changed some rules. Yeah, and and that's where you get into fights with like the old grognards who were, who played Advanced growing up, or and then there's even I linked this to Joel earlier the fight between uh, this was an old one I didn't realize how ancient it was, but there's a podcast called So Very Wrong About Games. And uh, one of the guys on the podcast is a gigantic civilization chauvinist, and he hates Advanced Civ because he thinks it ruined, like it's not, it, it ruined everything that uh, <laughs> the god designer Francis Tresham <laughs> decided. And I think it's, that is a hot take in the board game world because nobody talks about civilization. It's always Advanced Civ, but yeah. it's an interesting take, at least. Good for him. But, I mean, you get more attention with an unpopular opinion. Exactly. And, but you know what, and that's it. So it's one thing to have a bad opinion. But can you back it up? Yeah. And this guy, he, like, he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. And he did write a bunch of things. And you don't have to agree with all of them. But it's better than, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh. Well, you see, I was with this guy. And he was being a real jerk to me. And he <laughs> invaded me. <laughs> Which is true. And you think about how many games that are actually good that people had a bad time with because somebody did something mean to them or... Yeah. Or which is, you is see that a one-star review in a restaurant. It's like, I couldn't find the place. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Or like the server, the server was rude to me. Like, how subjective is that? Like, was the server actually rude to them? Or yeah. was it like, uh, they didn't ask me how my day was? Or like all these arbitrary kind of like, how's the food? Oh, the food was delicious. I loved every bite of it, but server didn't smile at me. So yeah. that lot. anyway, back to board games and stuff. Pandemic, 10th anniversary came out. It's yeah. for sale. It looks really cool. Pricey. Very pricey. It comes in a, uh, I think, like a plastic or metal suitcase. It's a, it's a metal medical. Medical. Like, metal medical. <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, briefcase. Yeah, as if you were like uh, being called to the scene of uh, an epidemic. It's yeah. It looks like tools. it looks like military issue yeah. medical service um Department of an army kind of thing. All the all the instead of those <coughs> uh, cheap feeling pawns that come with a game, now every character has their own figure on the board. I think the board itself Unique. is much bigger. Um, beyond that, I don't know what. Uh, I'm sure the the graphic on the cards have changed, but that's a good example of that's a remaster. We have taken the pandemic is still there, but we've we've bumped it up to 4K. It's the tenth anniversary. Right? Tenth anniversary. Yeah. Um, Suburbia. A game that I guess is semi out of print at the moment. I didn't realize that it was difficult, at least in the states. I, I think it might be easier. I see it everywhere. Yeah, uh, somebody was saying in the states that they're having problems finding it. That uh, there is a Kickstarter version I think going out right now for the Suburbia Special Edition or Deluxe Edition or Anniversary Edition, something on those lines, where I think all the tiles have like, or at least a significant chunk of them have like actual. Like they're 3D or they have like actual texture texture to them, like buildings and parks and all this stuff, which is metal coins. Metal gotta have metal classic coins. metal coins. Uh, sign of a of a, a rebuild because if you're gonna throw metal coins into a base game, good for you. Yeah, and I'm thinking, uh, what's the the legacy game you weren't fond of? Charterstone. Charterstone. Yeah, 
But otherwise, it's going to really ramp up the cost of your game. You're going to oh, yeah. have less people buying it because yeah. your production costs are up. And speaking of production costs and metal coins and all that stuff, obviously Scythe is the, the one that really comes to mind in that. It came out, and um, if you kickstart it, I think you could you could buy the, add the metal coins onto the side. But I'm not sure if they, the special deluxe resources were part of the the addition or Kickstarter stuff. I think it, you, it was always like another pay extra dollars for this, which... Which is kind of good, kind of consumerist. It's like, if you don't care about this stuff, we're not making you pay extra for it. Scythe is still an accessible price. Yeah. Um, but you still have this stuff on the side, so you can kind of remaster your own game should you choose to do so by yeah. adding stuff. And I, I linked Joel this story that uh, from earlier this week where some Scythe devotee uh, went through and made realistic Real. Goods. Yeah. Like based off of the materials. Yeah. So he, for example, the, the one that everyone was just astounded by was that. So one of the resources in Scythe is oil. So this guy not only researched what little containers you could use for this stuff, little plastic containers that would have to fit on the board properly. And seal oil properly. And seal. So using different types of glues and epoxies and all that stuff. He went on a tour to an oil refinery and bought little uh, tour, uh, like they sell little th- crude that you can buy as like a souvenir. For, so he bought enough of that to add to these containers so he can have legit crude oil that's not going to leak all over his board game. Yeah. Um, he took um, wheat seeds, I think, or, or gra- actual grains, yeah. um, resined them. Three printed the 3D printed the bags. Yeah. And uh, resin them all up and put them in there. So now you have an actual little bag of grain you're moving around. Uh, metal, that's an easy one. He just said actual... Like, he said that was the hardest because of... Hardest to cut it. Cutting it. Yeah. yeah. And that, can you imagine but like... steel. S- he, w- he said he could have gone aluminum, but he went actually steel. Yeah. He kind of regrets I'm it. scared how heavy At the same the time, <laughs> can you imagine the weight of those It's insane. Pieces? Absolutely insane. But that's the dedication. But somebody else pointed out too, still uses the cardboard coins as far as we can tell. <laughs> Wood is obviously the easiest. Wood, yeah, yeah. Getting some lumber. Exactly. So, and I've chop up some sticks. And I've thought about doing that myself with some things. And you can kind of deluxify your own games or remaster your own games beyond DIY stuff. I, I consider it whenever whenever somebody buys one of those organizers, I consider that to be uh, you are deluxifying your own game because. Mm. And I think in a lot of cases, these organizers, it's becoming more and more standard today to have one, like if you, especially Kickstarter games, but some of the retail games too, have a functional organizer right from the get-go so that yeah. people actually play your game frequently, even though it adds to the cost, I think. Because some, some games like uh, something like uh, Caverna or Feast for Odin and some of these other games, there's so many pieces going around there, and it's such a pain to set up at times that it stops you from playing it. Yeah. Because it's just oh. it's like you like the game a lot, but there's the there's the actual barrier. The like you, you feel exhausted thinking about playing it. Administration exactly. behind it, yeah. And uh, so that's one of these cases where it's like I, I may, I love the the broken token stuff or the meeple realty and anyone and the game trays are becoming I think kind of yeah. inexpensive. Halfway. If anybody's buying it, then obviously there's a reason for it. Yeah. Joel, do you think that what? How do you feel about companies? remastering or remaking board uh, games there well just in general what do you think about uh i think that for video games often it's a cash grab i kind of sometimes i like how ugly old games look oh absolutely they have their own charm yeah and when things get cleaned up it's kind of like oh well what is this but yeah um 
Because you were talking before, without interrupting you too much here, the Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos. Uh, yeah. Not doing Frozen Throne simultaneously for some reason. But yeah, well, that'll come later and yeah. cost more. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of iffy about them, to be honest. But uh, as far as board games go, I think it's awesome. I think that uh, nobody's remaking um, Bonanza. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a bad game. <laughs> Ignore him. Hold on. Wrong! <laughs> Had it already. Uh, the only games that are getting remastered are the ones that have that demand. And yeah. I think the demand is pretty easy to see. You can go on any forum or... Uh, the comment sections of any game on Board Game Geek or yep. Facebook groups, whatever, and you'll see, you know, if somebody makes a special edition of Gloomhaven, everyone's gonna buy it, so you might as well make it. And then the demand dictates the remaster, and then mm -hmm. it comes out. I don't know who was demanding uh, Reign of Chaos. <laughs> well, Nobody I mean, even plays it. To be fair, though, it's I think it's such a uh, maybe it's just an attempt to because we've got this IP, we've got this game, people used to like at least it's it costs us nothing just throw put the b team on bumping up the graphics and changing yeah. the hud a bit and calling it a day but um do you think it's cynical um well i mean obviously any time spent remastering is time spent away from developing new ideas mm. um but if they've got the time and the money for it uh why not interesting too because we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between video games and, and board games that board games actually go out of print and I think that's a big deal on that. Mm. Like, if a game's out of print, um, even though lots of games are, theoretically, you can't buy them anywhere, but a digital copy, you can find a digital copy almost always, except in extreme circumstances. Whereas a board game where maybe you could pay $600 to some random on eBay mm. to pick up a copy, but some games you can't get. So an idea of, like, a remake or a remaster is it makes a lot of sense to me in the sense that you can actually... You're, you're putting the product out for sale again, so you got to yeah. fix it simultaneously. Absolutely. I'm still waiting for the Glory to Rome reprint. <laughs> Which is... That's a great example of, like, you have to proxy it because of legal issues and people being burned on previous uh, attempts at the... Because that was a remaster, right? Exactly. The original Glory to Rome's cartoony and silly, and I think some looked, of the stuff needed to be ugly. fixed. ugly. Oh, my God. All right, quickly, before we go, do you have a... Any game in the world that you could get remastered, what would it be? It's such a tricky question because, frankly, it, I, it sounds bad, but Mega Civ. Mega Civ? Like, or Advanced Civ? Or Advanced Civ. It already looks good. I'm not saying that. Like, the trade cards and all that stuff look great. But some advancement to the chits and the, the yep. way certain things are handled. <laughs> Fix them components. Fix those components, but how for about you, Joel? For me, it's Puerto Rico, yeah. for sure. And that, that remaster already exists, but it's $350 and out of print. I checked Amazon and um, Cool Stuff Inc. And yeah. they're both just... This item is unavailable. <laughs> it's like... Why are you playing with my heart? <laughs> just, just say it's not coming back. You never know. Anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.